Welcome back to the Legal Diaries podcast. We chat about everything from small business to sustainability and mindset, law to health, finances to relationships. We want to provide you with the practical and actionable steps to smash your goals. So grab a drink, sit back and get ready to build your empire with Legal Diaries. Perfect. So we are back and we were t- we're talking about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, part two. Um, so for anyone listening, we're actually recording in the one sitting, but for you guys, it's it's two separate episodes. But we're now going to move on to talking about more kind of long-term financial planning. So the big thing that I went through last year was I was like, I really need to sort a pension. I was like, it just for some reason it just dawned on me. I think it's because we got new colleagues in the office and they were kind of asking and work being like, oh, like how do I transfer over my pension or like what do I do and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's one thing I haven't thought about because I work in private sector, so it's not automatic. And so I, yeah, and I was just hit with all of these these different things. Like one thing I had to consider was, um what my risk tolerance is um and I have to do this kind of the questionnaire say how how do you advise a person that comes to you like how do you where do you start with pensions maybe if we start there so like where when I when like I want a pension I work in the private sector we'll go on that kind of basis um initially where do I start Okay, well, I think you've 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 hit the nail on the on the head, and it comes under one word: start. So yeah. The most important thing you can do with a pension is actually start, um, and it's something that's often ignored until people are a little bit further, especially in the private sector. So I think you need to differentiate between public and private sector. If you work in the public sector, it's for the most part done for you. Um, yeah. If you were to fund a public sector pension throughout your life, you'd probably be paying in. I think the number that I have is twenty eight percent of your salary. To fund it so massively massively valuable benefit if you work in the public sector well done um in in that regard fantastic benefit to have in the private sector it's quite different you need to fund it yourself um so what you're looking at is a, a thing called a defined contribution pen, pension so in, in the past pensions would have worked for the most part on receiving a percentage of your your salary at the end of your time working now what we have to do under the defined contribution world is is fund the thing so the most important thing you can start doing is putting money away um so the the way that i i think you need to look at it is that you are allowed to put away a certain percentage of your salary based on your age um and the more that you do put away the better the the other thing danielle and i think this is probably rings through for for you and your guys more is the younger you start the better um again you have a a the you know over time you have the ability for for your money to if everyone any members doing compound interest at school um you know you're looking at the value of your money growing and then the value of that growth growing on top of growth if that makes sense um the longer the term you have if you think about a pension a very long journey a lot of people might think that you know you're you're they're 30 and they've 35 years to go until uh, 65 year you know 65 year old in retirement in reality the probably another 20 years to go on top of that so now we're looking at a 55 year journey um and if you started a bit earlier this could be a 60 year um cycle that you're looking at so we're looking at an extremely long um duration but the most important thing you can do 
start. Because effectively what you're doing with a pension is you're balancing, um, you're, you're substituting, taking the money that you earn now um, and reserving it to pay your way in the future. Simple as mm. that. Balancing two cash flows. Um, to start at the start, start doing it. I think if that, if that answers your question. Um, yeah. Looking at, looking at risk, um, the I think the, the when you're saying how do you choose what to invest in, what level of risk, looking at risk assessments and that kind of thing, the the again part of our job is helping people balance uh, what's um, appropriate with what their own tolerances might be. So when you went to do your pension, I think like you were saying, you, you filled out a risk questionnaire. I'm quite sure. Um, yeah. you know to to assess yeah exactly and that's that's to say okay well you, you know you'll do these things and you'll find out some people are just very very uncomfortable taking any risk at all so by default if they could they'd leave their money in cash so there's no chance of mostly what people want to avoid is the, the, the you know the drawdown of their investment losses and, and such like yeah um, whereas in reality for someone who's earlier in their career um they should be turning the risk right up um yeah uh, and i mean within within reason uh, within normal bounds of things i can talk a little bit if you want later about you know how portfolios and pension investments are generally set up um but at an earlier stage in your life if you go back to this being a very long journey longer term uh, returns tend to be relatively predictable um so trying trying to take a little bit more um trying to take a little bit more risk than you might naturally be comfortable with um, is you know is 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 it not just reasonable but most of the time necessary yeah that's that's super interesting because but even like I found when I was filling out the questionnaire um it was so hard to answer the questions if that makes sense because I was just very cautious of like do you know when you know what a questionnaire is for and you're trying to figure out how to how to kind of answer it and um, so I found the questionnaire difficult and it took me some time to kind of run through um and figure it out and I think I came out at like medium so like I'm not very like in high risk I'm kind of mid into the scale like mid to the to the higher level so like I'm and I you kind of have that thought where you're like okay so you're younger I don't have dependents I don't I'm not paying a mortgage I'm not doing those kind of things so I'm kind of in a better position to sorry my puppy is running around in the background um sorry so I um am quite able to kind of have those kind of riskier investments within my pension um when you said start um and I remember when we spoke you were kind of like oh well, you're ahead of people like people usually don't start until they're 30 so for reference for anyone listening um I'm currently 29 um so I'm due to turn 30 this year actually oh gives me shivers <laughs> but I um I when should people start like should people kind of be thinking of this when they get into their first kind of job is that when they should be thinking or is it kind of late 20s early 30s that you'd be like you really need to consider this now i can give you an ideal answer and then i can give you the reality um you know ideally yeah when you start a career start on your pension if you yeah. if you were to contribute 15 percent of salary 
um, to a pension throughout your career, you're going to be very well funded at retirement. You probably have two thirds of your final salary roughly. So when you take away the general expenditure of life at, uh, at retirement that might be gone, like mortgages paid in that, that's enough to continue with life as it always was, but you're just not working anymore. You've got money working for you. The reality though is quite different is, you know, in when most people start a career, they don't have much left from their pay packet at the at the end of the month, you know, um, in that that discretionary envelope is smaller. Possibly they're allocating more to, you know, a, a social life that might be a little bit bigger than someone who's a little bit older, um, you know, and they're they're spending up to to what they have. So if it's not possible to afford a pension at that stage, or they're not required by their employer to have one, um, well then quite often people just don't do it. So where I normally end up meeting people is, um, and you're dead right when we spoke, spoke before, is that you're ahead of the curve, and you are. Um, normally, we end up meeting people mid-30s to 40 um, who are coming in saying, I need to look at this. Or you know, maybe they've had a few employments in the past where they've small bits of pensions. And you know, it's like, God, I don't know what's going on with that. So we need to look at this. Um, so the, in simple terms, the, the, the earlier you start, the better. But if you haven't started by the time you're 40, it's not too late. Um, there's, there, you know, there is plenty of time to catch up, and especially for people who work in, in businesses. Um, there tends to be a, an ability to catch up. Possibly for, for professionals, um, you say, you know, take a barrister and, uh, who's, who has to be self-employed. Um, there are different rules for different pension structures. So someone who is required, say, to have a, a personal pension um, has no ability to catch up. So it's really important that people in, in the professions um, who are required to be self-employed contribute on an, on an annual basis. But yeah, in basic terms, the, the earlier you start, the better. And you kind of touched on it there um, and said kind of there's these different types of pensions. So I think this is, if my financial advisor is in any way listening, um, I think I'm on a PRSA, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that is my pension. But um, um, I remember he just came back and he was like, oh, this is the one I recommend on the basis of kind of like where you're at in life and everything like that. And there was a document with all these other types of pensions. And I I literally was like, you could tell me anything. And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, okay. I have no idea. So like what? So there are different types of pensions and it's and it's kind of your job then to kind of funnel it down on the basis of what people has have provided you and tell you what's most suitable is it yeah to, to, i mean not and not to to promote my own position but get an advisor in this pensions there's yeah. no long to it. it's a world of rules built on rules built on rules built on rules um so you know there, there are myriad different structures um the prsa is is great it's very versatile structure the idea was it would be something that could merely you know move in and be effectively it's a pension account that travels with you it's in your own name mm. um, you can contribute your employer can contribute and so forth but it, uh, you know it, with all these great designs um there are rules put in around it so it, it doesn't mean that it, it would be a default product in fact the prsas tend to be quite um restrictive with regards to charging an investment choice um, and then there are also certain other uh, tax disadvantages in, 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 you know, in how you might, in how you might utilize one. There are other advantages as well. They can be quite sophisticated planning tools. That's just one product. So, you know, you're looking broadly speaking, you're looking at a, a P 
PRSA being being one structure. You're looking at occupational schemes outside of that or personal pensions. Um, you know, an occupational scheme might be a single member, what would be referred to as an executive pension. It could be a group employed pension. Um, you might have a, a you know, then you've a whole other world of small self-administered pensions, self-administered PRSAs, standard PRSAs, non-standard PRSAs, personal retirement bonds, buyout bonds, ARFs, AMOFs. And it's so, like. You know, <laughs> And I'm just spouting the names of varying structures there. So, I mean, it's it's just nuts, right? There, there was a whole simplification agenda around this, but the problem is when anyone tries to simplify this world, they just make it more complicated. Um, so yeah. it's, it, 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 it's very hard to navigate, I suppose. Yeah, and like, how does someone listening kind of get a financial advisor? Because until we, so as far as I'm understood, and I could be completely wrong, it's embarrassing because I'm a lawyer, um but each kind of business needs to have a nominated pension provider is that correct yeah so yeah it, it, there's there's a requirement for a company to offer um an employee the ability to contribute to a pension they don't they don't have to contribute there's no requirement for yeah yeah there's there's is a, that's a, an agenda that's going on around about should people be um should they be automatically enrolled into pensions uh, that's a whole different day's conversation um yeah. but finding an advisor um i suppose the first step often would be that if you're you know if you're employed in a business um you know do they have a provider already so is there an advisor there to give you advice outside of that um easiest place to look is um there, there's a trade association called brokers ireland um, they have mm. a project financial broker and if you go on to financialbroker.ie you can search for advisors in your area um, there's a list of of you know qualified brokers who have to meet certain criteria and have a range of appointments across the market so to find someone who's reasonably competent you know locally to you that's probably a good resource to be able to look to um, and i have to hold my hat up i'm a member of brokers ireland uh, so um you know I, I i i suppose do i have a do i have a dog in that fight probably probably not but uh, i i you know it's a great association right and there's a lot there's um a lot of good advisors and people associated with that um but a good resource to 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 find to find an advisor um yeah it, i just think trying to trying to we've spoken previously about people maybe making um errors and this kind of stuff trying to navigate this world solo um is very very difficult um yeah you know, without having any particular expertise, um, and for you know, for right, right or wrong, that's just the way that it is. Um, I suppose going back to your original question, you're asking about kind of what's about varying structures, and you know, what's what's the best or what's the the right thing to do. The answer is that really does come down to personal circumstances. Um, it can be dictated largely by um, where your income is. So you know, are you are you self-employed? Do you work uh, for a company? Um, you know, are you a professional? Have you got existing pension savings um, you know, within your existing employment or from previous employments? So you know, what what way do you rationalise these things? For example, so the easiest way your your PRSA is a great example there. When you're starting out, it's a very straightforward, very simple structure um, to put in place. You just bang the money away into it. You get all the basic advantages. And for a lot of people, uh, you know, at a certain stage in life, PRSA can be very, very useful. That's whether it's done individually or in relation to an employment can be done both ways. Um, 
as you go on, um, you, you might find that structures that would be, for example, a small self-administered pension scheme would be absolutely useless for you at this stage um, because the cost of running it would eat up probably a considerable amount of what you put into it. Very expensive. Mm. But they're a wonderfully flexible structure. For, so for someone maybe who has accumulated over a year, maybe they're in their 50s, they have half a million of pension assets, um, you know, and they, they run their own business. It's probably the best structure for that person. And, you know, just pulling a, 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 a character out of the air would be the best, person, best structure for that guy. So it really is what's, what's allowable, then what's appropriate. And quite often you'll have a choice between structure A and structure B, and there'll be some advantages one, there will be disadvantages to another. Um, and then there'll be quirks as well. And without trying to get into too much detail, but you know, a good a good example would be there's a general, there's a general rule about around occupational schemes. And if you die, you're limited to receiving a value of, of a multiple of salary of, 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 of four times the salary. Um, so you know, you, sometimes you find people who now are on quite a small salary who have a huge pension pot. And if they were, if you know, if they they were passed to pass away there's a problem with the debt benefit and that they'd be massively disadvantaged which can be corrected by moving that money to a different type of pension structure again illogical but just the way it is so yeah. it's understanding the circumstances and relating those to the structures that's important and can you change over time um so say i'm on a prsa now so say it makes more financial sense or um future kind of long-term financial planning for me in my 30s, mid-30s, if I'm permanent in a job that I'm going to stay in, um, does, can I change financial, like, can I change financial plan as, as it goes along? Or once you set up one, are you kind of stuck I, in that? I'll give, give you a pensions answer. Yes, but um, oh, okay. yes, you can generally. Okay. Um, you can, and again, this goes back to these myriad of structures, you might be able to move from, you know, a PRSA, um, say, to another PRSA, or you might be able to move, um, you know, you can't move your PRSA into a personal pension, but you might be able to move your personal pension to a PRSA, but not to an occupational pension. So, you know, there's, there are certain things can move in certain directions. Um, I, again, don't ask me the why, but that's, yeah. you know, that's the way it is. So, yeah, over it's time. It's like a game of chess. It's like you can yeah, it's like a really yeah. like game that's, of chess. It's like, well, yeah, I was just going to say, you can take, take particular moves in different directions. That's it. And you'll find that, you know, there are kind of inflection points in life and career where change tends to become, you know, a good thing in these. So the clients we work with, we'll work on an annual review basis. So we'll look, you know, we'll, we'll have a, at least a brief meeting each year or call maybe like this in these times. Um, and, you know, we look at where the person is and see, okay, well, is what you're doing still appropriate? Or do we need to, you know, do we need to um, change things around? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, where you start on day one is invariably, that's not where you're going to end up um, you know, mm. in, at the far end of your once you retire and so forth. There will, there will invariably be changes along the way. Yeah. And if I say if I was to come in um, to I don't know, a, a lump sum of money, um, can I just pay that into my pension? Um, it depends how you come into that money. So if you okay. if you say got a bonus at year end, yeah, that's pensionable. So pension, you can pensions are only tax relieved against certain types of income. And for the most part, that's earned income. 
So say if you had rental income from a property, you can't contribute that to a pension claim or tax relief. Um, now there are other tax relieved mechanisms that you could use to protect um, but that you know to protect from I suppose to to, to make your tax planning more efficient. Um, but it, with regards to a pension, it's basically limited to earned income. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, so it's that's that's the, I, I, and that's not I'm not being a hundred percent accurate, but for the most part, that's the easiest way to think about it. Yeah, my my big takeaway from this, and for anyone, especially from someone who has gone through this whole rigmarole um, and is now thankfully set up with a pension, is to get a financial advisor. Like, <laughs> so promoting I, I your job Daniel, even more. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm not actually providing any good information here for anyone listening. <laughs> no, um, no, you yeah, you no. are like it is it, it is kind of interesting because even for to hear like if I had have heard this before I went, I would have had an understanding of like the limitations of things and um and maybe kind of understood what kind of questions I should ask um my financial advisor. Like I think like I went very kind of ill-equipped, like my um, financial advisor is great, but like could have done anything. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, that, that sounds good to me kind yeah. of a thing. Um, so the details of pensions are, sorry, I mean, no, I was just no, saying, no, the details of, of pensions are very complicated, right? And the ins and outs are complicated, but I think the best piece of advice I ever got from this was, was from a, a, a older gentleman who at the time was um was the one of the most senior people in one of the large life insurance offices and uh, i happened to have a meeting with him one day and he just boiled it down into you know, pensions are simple and kind of looking at him thinking well they're not but in essence he was saying look start young um contribute in as much as you can and continue doing it um you're mostly going to be okay you know and then be, yeah. be, be prudent around the investment side you know, don't really stray too much from from the mainstream. So you can boil pensions down into that level of simplicity, but the actual execution of of, of putting stuff in place is is just not. You know, it's not um, it's not straightforward. And there is a lot of nuance in it. Yeah, um, and one thing I found um, quite like hard to figure out initially was to figure out what percentage of my income I was going to contribute so at the moment um so some employers if you work in the private sector will match the pension um so it just happens that my employer at the moment doesn't but it's 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 something that hopefully is going to be um put in place in 2021 so this year um so I would say like I contribute quite a small amount. When you said 15%, I was like, I'm nowhere near 15%. I'm at like, I think 4% of my income goes to my pension at the moment. Just because I didn't want to start at something that was what in my head, like I could, I will probably increase the, the percentage this year, but I didn't want to start at something straight away that I wasn't necessarily manageable. So I was like, okay, I'll start really small um and then I'll kind of increase it as I go along and then if my employer then meets the the pension contribution then that obviously increases the amount that's being contributed um so how how does a person figure out what percentage of their income yeah that's a smashing question right and uh, the the important part I suppose is to have started so that you're doing four percent now at your age you know you're doing 
you're doing 4%, which is 4% more than zero. Um, as life moves on, I would say, you know, in your particular circumstances, maybe you receive an increment or a level of pay rise or something like that. My, my take would be in, you know, consider allocating a larger proportion of that to the pension rather than taking it away and funding, you know, mm. other parts of your life. So, you know, as life allows you to contribute more, there, there would have been no point in you going in and say, deciding to contribute 15% and realizing at the end of the, the month, you're just short money um, at home. But, you know, there's no point in that because well, the, the outcome of that is you stop contributing to a pension, right? So there's no point in the first place. Um, there are age-related bans um, that, you know, constrain how much you can ordinarily contribute to your pension so from you know starting out um you're looking at being able to contribute up to 15 percent of your income and that tends to move up in you know um as as you move on um then that 15 percent will become 20 percent become 25 percent 30 percent 40 percent so right up to when you're in your 60s you'll be able to contribute 40 percent of your income to your pension um and if you're on a, a you know if you're on a a large salary in the last decade of your employment um, or the last five years of your employment, say contributing 40% might make a massive difference um, in, in what you can get, uh, what you can get done. So deciding the right number, again, it goes back to circumstances. What can you afford? Yeah, quite typically in, a, in larger companies, there might be a matched contribution. So your, your mm. employer on the, on the basis that you do for as well. You know, so there you have eight percent. Um, those those numbers. There's no real set standard to that. It could be three and three, four and four. You know, it could be six and six. Um, and you're probably getting into generous territory there. You do have the ability though to to say on top of that, okay, there are three factors that can go into contributions. There's the employer contribution, the employee contribution, and then you can do a thing called an ABC, which is an additional voluntary contribution. So you might say, okay, well, we've got 3% for me, 3% for my employer, you know, there we go, I'm on 6% and I want to get up to the, the 15% and I can afford to do this right now. So then you can use a thing called an ABC to top up to that. Now, the, the ABC in itself can be interesting in that most employers will give you the facility to make the ABC to your group, to your, to your employed pension, effectively to your occupational pension. Um, but in other circumstances, you may be able to take out again what's a what's a PR basically a PRSA and use the PRSA to make an ABC. So you'd have a PRSA ABC that allows you to expand to the full allowable uh, value. Um, so you know, there's again, I'm getting into the details of it, um, but I think the way to look at it is contribute as much as you're comfortable to contribute because in this world. Um, outside of getting very sophisticated about things, pensions are the best show in town. You know, they're, they're just from an efficiency perspective, you get relief on your income. Uh, so you get mm. relief on income tax, tribute. you get relief on any capital growth within the pension, you get relief on any income generated within the pension. So there's such a range of savings. If you are saving for the long term, do it through the pension structure. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I went in like, just I was like, I'm going to be super cautious here. I'm going to like start start very kind of low because I was like, it's a thing I could increase. Um, and I like I have kind of in my financial goals for the year is is to increase the the percent. Um, and so I think one thing then for anyone listening is a start and 
3% or 4% is better than 0%. So like in my head, before kind of speaking to you, I was like, I'm contributing like nothing to my pension, like in, in when I take it out of a percentage. But then I was like, but now I feel a lot better. I'm going away like a little bit smug me like, well, my 4% is better than like someone else's 0% their pension. Um, and one thing that I wonder just while we were talking there is can you have multiple pensions? So say my boyfriend is that privileged person in society that ha- will get a beautiful civil servant kind of public sector duty pension um and so should he also have say like a PRSA as well or say even me should can I have more than one pension or should I have more or should I just focus on one what what you'll probably find you, I suppose your circumstances and your and your boyfriends are a little bit different there but what you'll find is as life goes on you you probably will end up with more than one pension in that um you know this is true and I, I suppose maybe let's separate the accumulation phase so when you're saving for retirement to post retirement when it's a long way off yet um but you might find that you move job at some stage and there'll be a different pension set up in the new job um uh, so yeah you might end up having the prsa that you have now which you might decide to keep um and then having you know a pension from the new employment and all of a sudden you're looking back in 10 years time and you're going well i have two or three pensions here now um does that still make make sense? Sometimes it does make sense to have multiple, multiple pension structures. Sometimes it won't, and then you find uh, what you have. Combining the things might be more hassle than it's worth. So you might decide to keep multiple pensions. With regards to right now, does it make sense to have more than one pension for the work you're doing at the moment? No, uh, for the most part, it makes it would make sense to continue with the with the structure that you have and use that then to, to fund them, you know, in as much as you can to put in as much money as you can. Um, if you found that you got a, an enormous bonus at the end of the year, well, maybe it might make sense to look at a, a at a different way of doing it. Um, but that's, you know, then you're getting into the kind of complexities of how do we use the varying rules associated to the varying structures to maximize your planning. Um, but ordinarily speaking, having more than one pension at, at one time for one employment, uh, especially when you're, you know, in 20s and 30s, um, it probably, it, it, for the most part, isn't going to be a sensible thing. Um, your boyfriend's situation is probably a little bit different. Um, for the most part, um, he, he's he's going to be in a, in a fairly reasonable position. Again, sorry, I say that without knowing anything, right? But the public sector pensions tend to be preferable, um, uh, you know, in that he's, he's most likely in a, in a defined benefit uh, setup mm-hmm. where he'll be given a percentage of final salary. Um, fantastic thing. Um, you'll find there are some things around this whereby, you know, maybe you'll look at, say, um, medical professionals, consultants who might have private income as well as public sector income. Um, and then they might, they, you know, someone in that situation might have to uh, two pensions running kind of simultaneously. Um, we can get a little bit complex, but I suppose it's a very particular circumstance. So for the for the most part, you know, public sector is it's a different, it's a slightly different world. Yeah, because it's so interesting. Because I like my intention, hopefully, is to go down 
if I go down to practice um, at the bar um, in about five years or so, um, that would be like, that's my kind of say end goal. Like if I am going to do it, I'm going to do it then. Um, and yeah, it's just interesting because then I'd be looking at possibly doing another, paying into another, setting up like a personal pension then. Yeah, um, if, if you go to the bar, that's, uh, you know, then you are in that world. And this, this probably the most limited part, you know, um, yeah. if you're then de facto self-employed, you're into yeah. having a personal pension, um, then time, normally there's a, there's a thing. So if you have an occupational pension, you work for a business or you're self-employed, you run your own company, you can make um, things called special contributions. So if you've neglected your pension for decades, um, but you've, you're, you're doing well and you've a lot of money in your company, you can back fund your pension and effectively catch up. If you have the money to do so, you can catch yeah. up to all the, the time you didn't fund it. Um, if you're if you were at the bar and you're in that professional world, then it's use it or lose it. So each year you have the you can contribute the maximum of that age related band, um, and then you also have a notional maximum salary. So you know, I and I'll pull numbers out of the sky. You're doing very well at the bar. You're making a quarter of a million euros a year. Um, you still have a notional maximum salary for pension purposes of 115,000. So you'll find that people in that professional world are quite constrained and they have to contribute, 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 contribute. Year yeah, year. like they can't kind of take a break and then back pay. So no. if I'm self-employed in the sense that I own my own business, that is yeah. deemed as occupational pension. If, if you traded through a limited company, yeah. Um, and, and you've considerable, <coughs> sorry, as because as a, as a business owner in that regard, I mean, that's probably where you have the most uh, possibility to mm. take maximum of, you know, the reliefs available from pensions. Um, so business business owners, I suppose it's one of the, you know, for it's a trade-off in a way, isn't it? In, in that being self-employed provides considerably less stability than, than, than taking an employment. Um, but the advantages are you probably can take greater advantage of things like pension planning. Um, and find efficiencies in, in, in that kind of world. Yeah, it seems like everything is so, for anyone listening, like everything's just so complicated by going out to the bar. Like it seems like such a restrained structure. And I didn't even think it was going to be too bad, but now it seems like even the pension is restrained. Um, but I think kind of um, one thing I always find really interesting, because obviously your pension is money that is being paid for say for my kind of simple brain thinking of it into another account that is managed by um, a pensions provider, financial advisor, and they then invest that money um, on your behalf. So can you have a say in how that money is invested to a certain extent, or is it kind of just restricted to the, the plan you're in? Oh, I, you absolutely can, yeah. Um, and yes, so again, we're getting back to the different structures, but I may as well simplify that. So um, if you want it to be fairly much utterly unconstrained in how you invest, there are structures, there are, there are what are called self-administered pension structures, whereby you can pretty much go and invest in, in most things. You know, you buy, a, you buy a property directly and rent it, the income comes into your pen, pension. Um, you know, you could invest in private companies, in varying private equity, uh, loan note instruments, all sorts of esoteric stuff, um, you know, which which might necessarily be the, the mainstay. But yeah, it is possible to to unbundle that. Um, for the most part, 
you would be limited to the range of funds um, available from whoever your pension provider is. So for the most part, most pension structures are provided by a life insurance company. Um, uh, there you have the six domestic companies from you know, Irish Life, Zurich, Aviva, New Ireland. Um, I don't want to do anyone out there, but you've a range of kind of mainstream providers there and they have their own fund, fund range, standard life, I should give them a mention as well. Um, and you'll be able to choose from those. Most of the time, they their range of funds will be, this stuff has kind of been standardized a bit in this thing called the ESMA scale. And this goes back to your risk assessments you spoke about earlier, which is a scale of one to seven. Uh, one is effectively investing in cash. So there's no volatility. There'll be no movement. Of it. Seven is kind of, you know, the very wild side of equity. So there could be massive levels of volatility, levels of movement in, you know, in, in investment returns. The vast majority of stuff falls between kind of two and six. So you'll have these risk rated portfolios available from the life offices. And this goes back to your risk assessment for the appropriateness we spoke about earlier. But you'll be able to have the conversation with your advisor and saying, well, I would like to be positioned along this scale. Um, alongside those pre-made portfolios, you would generally have a, a broader range of funds um, so you know that you will be able to maybe add some nuance in um, again they'd be kind of risk 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 rated but yeah if you have a particular preference something that's become quite um, fashionable is the wrong word but there's been a big focus on this year is um, you know ESG so sustainable sustainability um, environmentally friendly type investment um, so it's so yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I email my financial advisor to see if my if there's any possibility that my monies could be invested in like ethical, sustainable companies. Um, um, and he came back and said, like, he was really kind about it, but he was like, yes, but no. He was like, I can't, or like, he was like, a company can be ethical and sustainable one day. And then the next day they do an arms or a trade deal with some other, like it can change. It can fluctuate so much. So I can't guarantee you that the company will yeah, always thinking, be. It's, it's funny, actually, the thinking on this has changed a lot and is changing very fast um you know, over the, over the last number of years. And actually I, I was on a call the other day um regarding investment and interestingly um that this whole sustainable ethical sector has actually outperformed mainstream in the last year um mm. so you could look for why that is but an amount of that could be that there's an amount of money simply flowing into that space so people who are having that thought like you're having there and saying look i want my money managed in an ethical and sustainable manner um, so that, that sector has changed from, it used to be, you know, you take your mainstream fund and you just pull the oil companies out because they're dirty. And you pull the tobacco companies out because people die from smoking. And you pull the arms company out of people because, you know, we don't want people getting shot. So, but that, you know, that was the basic original thinking behind that. But there's become a lot more nuance in how people are, are managing money in this kind of way. And you'll find that a number of the mainstream life offices now over here um, have put a particular emphasis on this. Um, and if I can, I mention a company. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, Standard Life had run a conference on this earlier in the year. They've had a number of offerings. I know the likes of Irish Life have had it in, but I think pretty much all of the mainstream businesses. Um, in the market or the mainstream providers of pensions in the market are now looking quite seriously at this space and are starting 
to be able to deliver offerings. Now, the offerings might be quite narrow compared to what you could get if you go into the broader investment universe, whereas mm. you, you cannot have a lot. But it is becoming a thing whereby possibly when you're talking to your advisor next year and you say, I want this type of a fund, they'll be able to give you an offering. Um, that's great, right? I mean, that's great for the world, isn't it? Yeah, and like that, it was part of my, because I'm on a, um, I'm on kind of say an eco-living sustainable journey for the past like two years myself, and I'm really passionate about it. So it inevitably was going to flow over <laughs> into my pension. Um, so I just asked out of interest and it was just, um, yeah, it was an interesting answer, but I'm I'm excited um, hearing what you're saying to see what's coming, because it is a hugely growing industry. Um, because it has to be in a way like we, we we have to kind of change and they're they're it's it's trendy and cool now so they are obviously going to do quite well um in the market as well um i think yeah, maybe if yeah um i think maybe if we kind of just to to sum up um if you could give your kind of your advice to someone who is at the very beginning of their kind of pension journey or they're even like they haven't even kind of thought of a pension until they started listening to this and now they're like do I need to set up a pension um how your kind of tips um for those kind of people just to kind of sum everything up sure get started so the first, yeah. the, first thing do, the, the biggest the biggest the biggest blockage in our world is inertia so people think yeah that's a great idea and they do don't do anything about it so do it. Just take take the action. Go talk to your employer. Go talk to an advisor, um, and and get started. Um, contribute. So start putting money in. Um, put as much in as you comfortably can initially, but don't stretch yourself. Don't compromise. Mm. You know, being able to live life by how much you're contributing to your pension. But do it. So start 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 as early as possible. Put in as much as you comfortably can. Continue doing that and be prepared to take some level of investment risk. If you're younger, um, you should be looking at moving further out on that risk scale. So when you go to an advisor, you're going to end up doing a profile. You're most likely going to come out as a three or four on the seven scale. And um, if you're in your 20s, early 30s, you know dependence uh, and such like, you've a very long journey ahead. I would be recommending that you're moving nearer to a maybe a six on that scale five minimum, six on that scale. So be prepared to take on investment risk, but talk to your advisor and understand what that means. It, what all that means is that you're going to have a bumpy road. It's not a linear journey. You're not, you know, it's not going from point A to point B. There will be times where your investments will grow. There'll be times when they fall. Um, but over the longer term, uh, the outcomes tend to be quite predictable. Yeah, definitely. Just Unlike, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I think that the main thing is just do it, just start. That's the yeah. easiest starting place is to take action. Yeah, and I make it sound, because I had so many questions and so many kind of concerns when I went into it, like I make it sound like a very kind of arduous process. It was literally completed in like a week for me. Like it just, it was really straightforward. Um, and I think the main kind of knob of why it was straightforward and even from, from talking to you here today is, just get a financial advisor like don't will yourself to become a pensions expert like do you understand like from listening today I have a better kind of understanding of pension structures and how it works and what I can do and kind of questions I can go back to my financial advisor about but 
I think don't confound yourself like I did in the beginning and I was like okay now I need to kind of figure out what all of this stuff means in this document that I've been provided like just get a financial advisor even like contact a financial advisor um initially like there's no kind of harm in sending an email that's it, Danielle. Go go on to the financial broker website and find those list of people. If you don't have someone through your employer or if you're self-employed or if you're a self-employed professional, go on to the Brokers Ireland website and just go to that list. Find someone local who'll be able to, to help you with it. Um, it, it. Unfortunately, and we live in a, a world of technology and automation, um, we all try and kind of self-serve these days, but it, it's, it is an area where I think just having a bit of expertise um, you know, is worthwhile um, because it's a world of rules upon rules. I suppose it's a bit like the legal world that, you know, that you're familiar with. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to go and try and solve a complex legal problem myself. I think there's a place for advice. Um, and generally, I think the, the advantage you'll gain by taking a little, a, a little advice will, will surely outweigh the cost. Yeah, definitely. And that that's the thing as well. And if you have a kind of um, a nominated pension provider in through your employment, like the cost of having that kind of financial advice and stuff is, is usually quite good. Like we, I think we got a particular rate cause it's, it's for the whole company. Um, but yeah, no, that's so interesting. Um, Thank you for listening to this Legal Diaries podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you found this podcast helpful or interesting, It would be absolutely amazing if you could spread the love and share it with your friends and family and on your social media accounts. Please make sure to tag us if you do. We are an independent podcast run by the three ladies behind the Legal Diaries platform and business. So it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For more Legal Diaries content, please do check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, just search at legaldiaries.ie and give us a follow. Until next time, Le Gras, the Legal Diaries ladies. Thank you so much um, for all your time. Um, if you want to maybe kind of, if you're comfortable with, to let people know where they can find you or um, how they can kind of contact you if, if, if they want to chat more um, about finance and get some financial advice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Donald Mungo Penny. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn or you'll find our business at smpfinancial.com. Um, so more than happy to talk to anyone. But again, uh, as I was saying, uh, you know, the financial broker website from Brokers Ireland is a great resource to be able to find someone local as well. So if you don't want to talk to me directly, there, there, are, there are quite a few of us out in this world who, who are, yeah. you know, well equipped to assist. Yeah. And you're based in the Dublin area? I am South Dublin for the most part. Yep. Um, okay. But have, have car will travel. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sorry, I qualify that by saying it ordinary times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Within your five kilometer read at the moment. Um. But exactly. I thank you so much for for coming on. It's been it's been super interesting. Like I definitely it's it's given me a lot of food for thought. Um. It makes me feel kind of smug in a way um because I feel like I'm a bit ahead of myself but I always thought I was behind but now I feel a bit ahead so it feels it feels good excellent 
Well, the pleasure to talk to you, Daniel, and I hope I provided you with something of a little interest at least. Yeah.